God desires for His believers and followers to live in a certain way. God shows this in the fact that in Old Testament times, He gave His chosen people, the Israelites, the Ten Commandments, summarizing how He desired for them both to show love to Him and also how He desired for them to show love to others. God also showed this in the fact that that He sent prophets to His chosen people time and time again, telling them to turn away from the sins that they had fallen into and back to Him, the one true God. And God not only showed this in Old Testament times, but even in the New Testament era. I mean, throughout Jesus' ministry, He would tell His disciples and followers to turn away from the sins that they had fallen into and back to Him. Through all this, God clearly shows that He is concerned with how His believers live their lives. In other words, God doesn't want His followers and believers to be hypocrites, to say that they they trust, believe, and follow Him, but then live contrary to His will. God desires for His followers and believers to be sincere in their devotion to Him. And back in Jesus' time, the religious leaders certainly felt that they were sincere in their devotion and obedience to God. Because the religious leaders were constantly devoting themselves to studying God's Word so that they could order and fashion their lives to be lived according to all of God's laws and commands. And they even took it a step further, that these religious leaders would add all kinds of man-made laws and stipulations to God's Word so that they could quantify how obedient and observant they were to God's laws and commands. And because of this, the religious leaders back then were seen as the prime example for what it meant to live a godly life. But while the religious leaders were outwardly obedient and observant to God's laws and commands, in our verses for today, Jesus has a conversation with these religious leaders where he ends up challenging them so as to teach them that true and sincere devotion to God involves more than just outward obedience. In our verses for today, we hear that Jesus went into the temple courts and was teaching on the Tuesday of Holy Week when the religious leaders, the chief priests, and elders of the people came to him and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And the things which religious leaders were confronting Jesus over involved a list of events that had taken place just those past few days. Just two days prior, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday, the way in which the prophet Zechariah prophesied that he would when it was time for his saving work to come to its culmination. Entering Jerusalem and riding on a donkey, with the people shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. That next day, Monday, the day before our verses take place, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he saw that the people had turned the temple into a marketplace when it was originally intended to be a place of praise and worship to God. So Jesus ended up flipping tables over and driving all of the people out of the temple that were buying and selling things because they had made a mockery out of the temple. And after Jesus did this, the blind then came to him 
and he miraculously healed them of their various afflictions, angering the religious leaders even more than he had already done so. And after Jesus did this, he then went to the town of Bethany to spend the night. And that next morning is what we hear about in our verses for today, where Jesus once again entered the temple courts and was teaching people. And when the religious leaders saw Jesus doing this on that Tuesday morning, well, they thought they had a golden opportunity to finally take care of Jesus, the one who had been causing them so many problems those past few days and who had been causing them so many problems also for those past few years. Because their question in asking Jesus, who gave him the authority to do all these things, was a trap. If Jesus answered their question, saying that he had authority from heaven and from God, they would then charge him with heresy and blasphemy. And if Jesus were to claim that he had authority from man, well, then they were going to charge him with stirring up a rebellion against them, they who were the established authorities. Either answer Jesus would have given would have allowed them and provided them with what they needed to charge Jesus with wrongdoing. And they must have thought themselves to be so clever in coming up with this question. But while they thought themselves to be so clever, they were in fact so foolish. Because everything that Jesus had been doing pointed to the fact and proved that he was the promised Messiah. All of the miracles he performed, all of the prophecies he fulfilled, and not only those things he had performed just those past few days, but everything that he had done throughout his entire life, all of these things pointed to the truth of who Jesus truly was. But because Jesus opposed these religious leaders throughout his ministry, because they were so focused on outward observance and obedience to God's laws, they failed to see Jesus for who he truly was. And so Jesus responds to their question with a question of his own to get these religious leaders to acknowledge their lack of repentance and faith so that they could then see him for who he truly was. Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer it, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? While the religious leaders thought they had trapped Jesus, Jesus had in fact just trapped them. Because John was the forerunner to him, the promised Messiah. John is the one who had authority from God to proclaim his message of repentance, telling people to turn away from their sins and to look to Christ as the promised Messiah, to look to Christ as the one who came to win forgiveness for the sins of the entire world, to look to the one who would be sincere in his devotion to God so that he could win forgiveness for all. John prepared people for the promised Savior, Christ. And during his ministry, John, who proclaimed this message of repentance, often opposed the religious leaders who were confronting Jesus in our verses for today 
because they refused to repent. Thinking that they had a perfect and right relationship with God because they thought that their outward obedience and their strict observance to God's laws is what God desired in their lives. And since John often opposed them during his ministry, these religious leaders certainly weren't going to answer Jesus' question by saying that John had authority from heaven because to do so would give credence to John's message of repentance that he proclaimed. And not only that, but it would also identify Jesus' authority as coming from heaven as well because John pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And so that left the religious leaders with one other answer to give. And that was to claim that Jesus, or John's authority came from man. But in this situation, that while this was the answer they wanted to give, they refused to do so because they recognized that the crowd that was there watching this exchange between them and Jesus, well, this crowd saw John as a prophet from God. And so if he claimed that his authority was for man, it would have incited the crowd into outrage against them. And so after discussing Jesus' question for a time, well, they decided to play ignorant to Jesus' question. They answered Jesus, we do not know. And since they refused to answer Jesus' question, Jesus then said to them, then I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. It's important to point out that as we see this first exchange with Jesus and the religious leaders in our verses for today, Jesus didn't give his counter question simply to get out of the trap that the religious leaders had set for him. No, Jesus' counter question had a much deeper purpose. Jesus truly desired to lead these religious leaders to lives of repentance. He wanted them to turn away from their religious system that was so focused on outward obedience so that they could live true lives of obedience to God. True obedience which only flows from a repentant heart. And Jesus sincerely desired for them to live lives of repentance so that they could see the sins that they had fallen into their own lives and then look to Him as the promised Savior the Savior who came to accomplish God's plan of salvation. This exchange was Jesus calling these religious leaders to repentance. And this call to repentance was really at the heart of the parable that Jesus now speaks to these religious leaders. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. And the second son answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. In this parable that Jesus speaks, we see two huge contrasts, both in what the sons say and in what they do. The first son was outright disrespectful to his father, stating that he was not going to go and work in the vineyard as his father desired him to do. But after saying this, the son felt sorry for what he had said to the father, and he eventually went to go and work in the vineyard because he was sorry for what he had done. 
Whereas the second son showered his father in compliments, calling him Lord and Sir, but then actually neglected to go and work in the vineyard when he was supposed to. And after speaking this parable to the religious leaders, Jesus asked them, which of the two sons did the will of his father? And the religious leaders had no problem stating that the first son is the one who did the will of his father because he's the one who actually went and worked in the vineyard. And by getting the religious leaders to identify the first son as the one who did the will of his father, Jesus then explains the meaning of the parable. Jesus said to them, Amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. However, the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. Jesus, in his explanation, identifies the tax collectors and prostitutes as being the first son in the parable. The ones who the religious leaders back at that time would have identified as ones that God hated and despised because of the sins that they had fallen into. But Jesus identifies them as the ones who did the will of his heavenly Father. Because they heard John's message and it led them to live lives of repentance. It led them to turn away from the sins that at one point had defined their lives and to look to Christ as their Savior from sin. It led them to the true obedience that God desires. Obedience that flows from a repentant heart, which has as its, at its foundation faith and trust in Christ. And Jesus identifies the religious leaders, the ones who are seen as the prime example of godly living, as the second son in the parable. And Jesus identifies them as the second son. Because while their strict religious system that was so focused on outward obedience seemed to be the thing that God would desire, sounded to be right, and looked like the God-pleasing thing to do, this was, in fact, not what God desires for his followers, believers in their lives. And while Jesus desired and hoped that his first exchange with the religious leaders and the explanation of this parable would lead these religious leaders to repentance, they continued to reject both John's and Jesus' message thinking that they had nothing to repent over because they thought that their outward obedience had brought them into a right relationship with God. And how this must have pained Jesus. Because he sincerely desired to lead these religious leaders to see who he truly was. He truly desired to lead these religious leaders to repentance so they could see that they had all kinds of self-righteous sins that they had fallen into their own lives so that they, like the other sinners that Jesus had gone to, would repent of their sins, would turn away from all of these things and to Him as the promised Savior from sin. Jesus desired for them to see Him that He is the promised Savior. He desired for them to see that he is the one who would come to win forgiveness for all. Jesus sincerely desired to lead these religious leaders to repentance. But this conversation that took place on Holy Week resulted in only having them harden their hearts even more against Jesus. Jesus. 
their hearts, which were already set and intending to kill him that very week. And we can understand where the religious leaders were coming from, can't we? I mean, think about it from their perspective. God had given his chosen people the Ten Commandments, telling them how he desired for them to live their lives. God had sent prophet after prophet to his people, telling them to turn away from their sins so they would turn back to him, the one true God. And since God was constantly telling his people to turn away from sins and to live in a certain way, it only made sense in their minds that strict obedience is what God desired. This is why the religious leaders were so fixed and focused on their religious system and failed to see Jesus for who he truly was. And it can be so easy for us to fall into that same trap, to fall into the same thinking that these religious leaders had. Because their religious system that was so focused on outward obedience is how our sinful hearts naturally think. Thinking that as long as we outwardly obey God, that He'll be happy with us. That as long as we're sitting in the pew on Sunday morning, or that as long as we don't commit murder, adultery, or steal, that this is all God is concerned with, and that as long as we do or don't do the things that God desires in our lives, that this is what will grant us a right relationship with Him and will lead us to having eternal life in heaven. But this isn't what God desires. God doesn't just desire outward obedience and strict observance to His laws and commands. What God desires is for us to have hearts of repentance. God desires for us to see the sins that stain our lives that are in need of forgiveness and to then turn away from them and look to Christ. To look to the only one who has lived a perfect life. Because never once did he give in to any temptation that was placed in his way. Never once did he stray from his heavenly Father's will. And never once did he ever consider taking a different path than the path that he walked to the cross. The path where he would show the depth of his love towards sinners like you and me. So that he could offer up his very own life, shedding his holy, precious, and innocent blood to win forgiveness for the sins of the world. And because you and I are a part of the world, Jesus' death on the cross has paid for your sins and my sins. God shows how sincere His devotion is towards us. And the fact that He hasn't abandoned us because of the sins that we fall into, but has instead sent His very own Son to be our sacrificial Savior. And it's this very message, the message of Christ crucified that God himself works through to then produce in us the hearts of repentance that he so desires to see in our lives. That God is the one who strengthens and empowers us to hate the sins that we fall into so that we turn away from them and look to Christ. And God is the one who strengthens and empowers us to then desire to live our lives with sincere devotion to his laws and commands. Not because we need to earn God's grace and favor, but because we want to show our thanks to the God who has fully and freely redeemed us of all of our sins.
This is the obedience that God desires in our lives. And God is the one who strengthens us to go and to live them. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.